Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Have you ever done something crazy? And then, like, afterwards, when you stopped and thought about it, you wondered, what was I thinking? You ever done that? Uh, well, if you haven't, or maybe you can't think of one, we'll give you some examples. might be able to jog your memory. Watch this. What were they thinking? <laughs> Did you notice, by the way, every one of those was a man? <laughs> Just an observation. Um, now, maybe you didn't relate to any of those, but you probably thought of at least one instance. Every one of us in this room probably think of one instance in which you did something, and, and afterwards you just thought, you know, it seemed like a good idea at the time, but like afterwards, what was I thinking? Um, there's a real interesting story tucked away in the Old Testament. Um, you probably have never noticed it before, but, and it's just a couple of sentences long. Um, 2 Samuel chapter 23. Um, it's a really incredible story. It's about a guy named Benaiah. Let me read it to you. 2 Samuel 23, 20. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, was a valiant fighter from Kabzeel who performed great exploits. He struck down two of Moab's best men, He also went into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. And he struck down in a huge Egyptian. Although the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, Benaiah went against him with a club. He snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Such were the exploits of Benaiah, son of Jehoiada. He too was as famous as three mighty men. He was held in greater honor than any of the 30, though he was not included among the three. And David put him in charge of his bodyguard. That's a short little story about a guy named Benaiah who went into a pit against a lion on a snowy day. What was he thinking? What was he thinking? I mean, that sounds like something right out of Survivor, something right out of Man vs. Wild. We'll dump you in this pit with a lion on a snowy day. Let's see what you can do with that, okay? It's a very strange little story, and you kind of gloss over it, and you go, well, why is that in the Bible? You know, why would, why would God include that little story in there? I think, I think it's because there's some incredible lessons. In those three little, four little, five little sentences. It talks about a, someone who was willing to do great exploits And he did it because he believed God was with him wherever he went. And he became one of David's most trusted. In fact, he was put in charge of King David's bodyguard because of his resume. (laughs) And I think it's something that all of us can learn from, especially in these times that we live in that are pretty frightening and a little scary. And you might be facing a few lions today. And I think Benaiah's story gives a little fresh perspective on life and particularly on taking on the challenges 
of life. And I'm going to make just a few observations this morning as we look at this together. Getting into fight, a new way of looking at your life, a new way of looking at the circumstances and the challenges of your life, and maybe a new way of facing your lions. I'm going to start with this first observation, that every life challenge is an opportunity. Every challenge you face in your life is an opportunity. I truly believe that our greatest faith-building skill that we could possibly learn is to simply look at the challenges of our life differently. Instead of looking at them as something that's come upon us, that, oh, no, what are we going to do? God, please get me out of this mess. If we would look, just begin to look at every challenge we face in our lives as an opportunity. There is a fundamental belief throughout Scripture as you read the stories over and over and over again, there is a fundamental belief in every one of those stories, and it is this, that every aspect of my life is in God's hands. Every aspect of my life is in God's hands. We get introduced to Benaiah, finding out that his name, Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, was a valiant fighter from Kabzeel who performed great exploits. Valiant fighter. Great exploits. What made him do such a thing? Well, you know what his name means? The name Benaiah means God establishes or established by God. Now, names are very, very important, especially in that culture. You don't just pick a name that sounded good or sounded pretty or sounded nice. You pick the name that would define your child's character. Very often, very often, if someone showed themselves to be different than, than what they were originally given as a name, their names were changed. Abram became Abraham. Jacob became Israel. Because names meant something. And to have the name established by God, I think, was the defining thing of his life. That God has established my life. God is at work in my life. Every aspect of my whole life is in God's hands. He is the one who establishes. And I think that is a fundamental belief that we have got to grab hold of. In any life challenge to see, God has established this. God is at work here. He is only one of a long line of people throughout Scripture who believe these words of David, written in Psalm 37. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God delights in every detail of your life? That is the legacy that we belong to. That is the heritage of people of faith. And you can trace it all the way through Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. Over and over and over again. People who believed that God was directing their steps. That God was interested in every aspect of their lives. And so you have a man named Abraham who is told by God to leave the comforts of what he knows to be his hometown and to go to a place he has never been before because where you step and where your feet trod, that will be the inheritance of your children. And he leaves the comfort and safety and he goes to a place he does not know. Moses, Moses gets called by God to go before Pharaoh and stand before him and say, God wants you to let his people go. And he does it. Because he believes that God is directing his paths, that it is God who establishes my life. You have King David, though even though he is anointed as king, is still under the kingship of Saul. And though Saul wants to kill him, he does not give up on the promises of God. And on and on and on it goes. 
And you get into the New Testament. And you have men like Philip who stand up for their faith and are stoned and put to death because of it. And Paul who changes his whole, his whole life from a persecutor of the church to become the biggest proponent of the church, the greatest writer of the New Testament. And he spends the rest of his life going from city to city to city trying to establish the kingdom of God wherever he goes. And he is arrested and he is brought to trial and he makes his appeal to Caesar and he gets jailed in Rome. And the very last book of the Bible, the very last book that he writes is a letter to a young pastor named Timothy. And he writes these words, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of power, of love, self-discipline. That is the legacy of people of faith. And it was ultimately shown us in Jesus Christ. Who said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down. And scripture says, he set his face like a flint to Jerusalem. He was steadfast and determined to see this through to the end. And was crucified. Resurrected. And that has made all the difference for us. That is the legacy of faith. God has not given us a spirit of timidity. And I want to tell you something, folks. You are not a victim of your circumstances. You are not a victim. You are not a victim of your circumstances. When our kids were young, one of my favorite books, maybe you've read this one, Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Anybody else? Let me just, I'll read the abridged version. I went to sleep with gum in my mouth, and now there's gum in my hair. And when I got out of bed this morning, I tripped on the skateboard, and by mistake, I dropped my sweater in the sink while the water was running, and I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. At breakfast, Anthony found a Corvette Stingray car kit in his breakfast cereal box, and Nick found a junior undercover agent code ring in his breakfast cereal box, but in my breakfast cereal box, all I found was breakfast cereal. <laughs> I think I will move to Australia. In the carpool, Mrs. Gibson let Becky have a seat by the window. Audrey and Elliot got seats by the window too. I said I was being scrunched. I said I was being smushed. I said if I don't get a seat by the window, I am going to be carsick. No one even answered. I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. At school, Mrs. Dickens liked Paul's picture of a sailboat better than my picture of the invisible castle. <laughs> At singing time, I sang too loud. At counting time, she said I left out 16. Who needs 16? I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. I could tell because Paul was, said I wasn't his best friend anymore. He said that Philip Parker was his new best friend and that Albert Mayo was his next best friend and I was only his third best friend. I hope you sit on a tack, I said to Paul. I hope next time you order a double-decker strawberry ice cream cone that the ice cream, cone, ice cream falls, part falls out of the cone and it lands in Australia. <laughs> there were two cupcakes in Philip Parker's lunch bag and Albert got a Hershey bar with almonds and Paul's mother gave him a piece of jelly roll that had little coconut sprinkles on the top. Guess whose mother forgot to put in dessert? It was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. That's what it was. Because after school, my mom took us all to the dentist, and Dr. Fields found a cavity just in me. Come back next week and I'll fix it, said Dr. Fields. Next week, I said, I'm going to be in Australia. 
On the way downstairs, the elevator door closed on my foot. And while we were waiting for my mom to go get the car, Anthony made me fall where, I was, where it was muddy. And then I started crying because of the mud. And Nick said I was a crybaby. And while I was punching Nick for saying crybaby, my mom came back with the car and scolded me for being muddy and fighting. I am having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. I told everybody, but nobody answered. There were lima beans for dinner. I hate lima beans. There was kissing on TV, and I hate kissing. My bath was too hot. I got soap in my eyes. My marble went down the drain. I had to wear my railroad train pajamas. I hate my railroad train pajamas. And when I went to bed, Nick took back the pillow he said I could keep. And the Mickey Mouse nightlight burned out, and I bit my tongue. The cat wants to sleep with Anthony, not me. It has been a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. My mom says, some days are like that, even in Australia. <laughs> even in Australia. You are not a victim of your circumstances. Even if you are going through a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. God is involved in the intimate workings of your life. He is. In your job, though it might be uncertain right now. In your finances, when everything tells you to hoard and keep and, 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 and God says give. In your family with a teenager who's rebellious and you don't know what to do. In your relationships. In every aspect of your life. God is involved in the inner workings of your life. And I think especially, especially I want to speak to men this morning. Because I think men carry the burden more of providing. They feel that responsibility more. And I want to tell you men. As uncertain as things might look in your life right now, God is at work. God is at work. We read the story and we don't get very many details. We have no idea how Benaiah ended up in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. There's no explanation. How did he end up there? What went, how, what went on? Did he go in there on purpose? Did he know there was a lion when he got there? Did it start snowing before or after the pit? How did it all? We're not told. Here's what we are told. He killed the lion. He killed the lion. When he found himself, however it happened, when he found himself in a pit with a lion on a snowy day, he killed the lion. <laughs> he didn't stand there in front of the lion and say, I am having a terrible, horrible, <laughs> no good, very bad day. Excuse me, Mr. Lion, but could you just kind of give me a break today? He killed the lion. There is a reason for the challenges you face in your life. There is. Paul talked about it to the Athenians. He said, from one man, God made every nation of men. He determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this. Listen, this is the reason. This is why God did it. God did this so that men would seek Him and reach out for Him and find Him. Because we live with this illusion of control. 
We think we are in control of our lives. We have it all mapped out. It is safe. It is comfortable. And then a crisis hits. And the economy tanks. And retirement flies away. And we realize we are not in control at all. Why does God do that? So that men would seek him. And reach out to him. And find him. That's why God does that. Because if we live too long with the illusion that we are in control, we forget how desperate we are for him. And sometimes it takes a crisis to make us realize, I can't do this on my own. And some of you maybe have never taken that first step of faith. You've never really entrusted your life to Jesus Christ. You've been trying to do it on your own. And maybe your whole world is spinning out of control. And that's why you're here this morning. I want you to know God has been at work in your life from day one. And what you are going through right now is so that you would seek him and reach out to him and find him. Many of us have already taken that first step. And you're wondering, so how come it's not any better? (laughs) James put it this way. You know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's why. That's why. Because God is at work in the intricacies of your life. (coughs) Every challenge that you might be facing right now is an opportunity. And how you face that challenge, whether you run from those lions or head them face on, will determine the outcome. It's an opportunity. Here's a second observation. Our greatest opportunities will involve the greatest risk. Most of us are not by nature risk takers. We tend to gravitate towards comfort and ease and safety. From an early age, this happens. From an early age, what, is your mo- what did your mother tell you? Boy, men, when you were a little boy walk, you know, growing up and you went out to ride your bike, what did your mother tell you? Make sure you wear a helmet. Why? Because if you don't, you might fall and crack your head open. Don't climb that tree because you might fall and break your neck. See, everybody's heard these. Don't play with a stick like that. You might poke out your eye. Everybody here. Did anybody ever really see somebody poke somebody's eye out with a stick? Did anybody ever really see somebody fall out of a tree and break their neck? But that's what we are told from the earliest of ages. Play it safe. Don't do that dangerous thing. You might get hurt. And throughout our lives, we learn how to risk. We learn how to manage risk. We work at risk avoidance. We have warning labels on everything these days. There was a warning label on the side of a coffee cup that says, caution, contents might be hot. (laughs) It's coffee. It's what I ordered. I know it's hot. Or on a hairdryer, caution, do not use in the shower. Do we need to be told this? On a chainsaw, do not attempt to stop chain with your hands. Duh. And I love, 
do not take this label off this mattress. Why? <laughs> Is it going to explode or something? We have warning labels on everything. Because everywhere we turn, people are saying, play it safe. Don't take a chance. Don't make any risks. Because you might get hurt. Yeah, you might. But you will miss an experience. You will miss an opportunity. There is something that I love about Benaiah. He is impulsive. He is impulsive. There was just something like, it just just seems like he goes around looking for challenges. He goes around looking for danger. It says he struck down two of Moab's best men. The odds were against him, two to one, and they were two of the best. And he took them on. He went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed the lion. He struck down a huge Egyptian, although the Egyptian had a spear in his hand. Benaiah went against him with a club. In fact, if you read the parallel in 1 Chronicles, it tells us a little bit more detail about this guy. He was seven and a half feet tall. His spear was as big as a weaver's bow. I have no idea how big a weaver's bow is, but that must be big. (laughs) But he took him on. Outmanned, outgunned, outstrengthed. But there's almost something risky and impulsive about what he does. Risk, folks, is a requirement of faith. You will never grow in your faith if you never take a risk. Because risk comes with package. God calls his people to tasks that are beyond their abilities over and over and over again. He calls us to things that are beyond ourselves. Another impulsive guy, this one in the New Testament, his name was Peter. Peter was in a boat with the rest of the 12 disciples, and a storm came up, and in the middle of the storm, sitting in this boat, being tossed by the waves, here comes Jesus walking on the water. And what does Peter say? Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out on the water. What was he thinking? My thought would be, God, Jesus, get in the boat. It's dangerous out there in the storm. What are you doing out there? Get in the boat. Peter's impulsiveness, Peter's faith risking, said, Lord, if that's you, call me to come out with you. (laughs) And Jesus said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. I want you to notice something. Out on the water is where Jesus is. Down in the pit with a lion. That's where Jesus is. God calls us to action. And action and experience is absolutely essential because no amount, no amount of reading the Bible, no amount of hearing sermons preached over and over again, no amount of doing your own in-depth study of word names and all of that, no amount of scripture memory by itself will bring about the transformed life that God desires for you. It requires action. It requires getting out of the boat. It requires getting down in the pit. And you cannot wait for conditions to be perfect. You might read this story and think, well, I'd go in a pit as long as I knew there wasn't a lion there. Yeah, I'll I'll do the pit. Sure, I I I can hang out in a pit, okay? That's fine. Just tell me there's no lions in there. And don't ask me to do anything on a snowy day because I just get cold way too easy. Yeah, I just, it's, my mom always said these things come in threes, and there it is, you know. 
I'm in a pit. Darn. There's a lion. Oh, boy. And now it's starting to snow. Could it get any worse? Conditions will never be perfect. And maybe, just maybe, we need to change our prayers. Because so often our prayer is, God, get me out of this pit. God, get me away from this lion. Please, Lord, make it stop snowing. Maybe, just maybe, we should be changing our prayers to say, God, give me the strength to take on this lion in spite of the snow in the pit. Because that is the life of faith. And the bigger the opportunity, the bigger the risk. And if we keep, I said it last week, if we keep stepping back in fear, if we keep running away from the challenges in our lives, we will never take those steps of faith. We will never take that risk and we will never experience the transformation that God has for our lives. We won't because there's only one way to do that. God does his part, but we have a part to play. The greatest opportunities involve the greatest risk. Third observation. I believe when we come to the end of our lives, our greatest regrets will be those missed opportunities. I believe, I believe that when you come to the end of your life, the thing that you will regret most is, I wish I had trusted God more. All of Benaiah's experiences were preparation. Two of Moab's best, a lion in a pit on a snowy day, a giant Egyptian with a weaver's bow spear. He defeated the giant, he killed the lion. He overcame the odds. Does that sound vaguely familiar? Was there anybody else in Scripture that did those things? Killed a lion? Killed a giant? David. David. No wonder when he got Benaiah's resume and he looks it over and goes, this is the guy. <laughs> he knows. He knows what I face. This is the guy I want, chief of my bodyguards. Every experience that he went through. Now, he probably was not thinking, this will look really good on my resume. (laughs) Probably at the time, that was the furthest thing from his mind. But God was using the experiences of his life, and we're only told three of them, but God was using those things to prepare him for what he ultimately had for him, the king's bodyguard. And he became one of David's most trusted men. He was put in charge of all of the bodyguard detail. And I think the thing is, if only we could learn to see from eternity's perspective. Because when we're in the middle of the pit, facing the lion, that's all we see. But so often I look back on some of the the most difficult times in my life, and I think, that wasn't so bad. It seemed horrible at the time, but it wasn't so bad. And had I not gone through that, I would not be who I am today. And I think if only we could have that perspective if we could see that every challenge that we are facing is the opportunity to grow because God has bigger things in mind for us. And instead of shrinking back and saying, I don't want bigger things, step forward and say, bring it on. Because God is with me. God establishes. How many things have you done that going into it you were afraid of? 
I remember, I remember when our kids were really, really little. The very first time I took my daughter on a roller coaster, she did not want to go. But I knew the joys she was missing out on. <laughs> and I said, honey, come on, it's going to be fun. We're at Santa Cruz Boardwalk. You know, her first roller coaster was not one of these modern ones with the steel and everything like that. It was a good old-fashioned roller coaster, wooden roller, creaking, falling apart roller coaster. And I said, come on, honey, it'll be fun. No, Daddy, I don't want to go. I said, I will go with you. We got on the roller coaster, and we went up the big, big part, and we came crashing down and swinging and through and up and down, and we came to the end, and she was... And I said, let's do it again. And she said, no. <laughs> but I said, you got through it, honey. Let's do it again. No. I said, just one more time for daddy, will you? Oh, okay. And the second time, she looked up at me and I said, let's do it again. And she goes, I think I could. <laughs> and after that, she's my roller coaster partner. <laughs> Because my wife hates them. <laughs> How many things have you faced in life that going into it you were scared to death, but you faced it, and with God's help, you came through it, and you look back and you say, what was I afraid of? And I would rather, I would rather come to the end of my life having faced my fears instead of living with regret for what I could have experienced, what I could have done. If only I had trusted God more. I will tell you, folks, honestly, as a pastor, there are days. There are days when I come in in the morning and I think about the decisions that had to be made and the directions that we are going and the responsibilities that I feel as a weight on my shoulders and I feel like this is way too much for me. I, 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 I don't know how to do this. And then I remember. It's not my work. God's. He longs for his people to grow more than I do. He longs for this communities around us to be reached for his kingdom more than I do. And I will tell you, there are some things that I face and I think, I hope this is the right decision. And it might be the wrong one, but I do know this. We have to keep trying. We have to do everything that we can to make sure that we are moving forward towards faith instead of stepping back in fear. Because he did not give us a spirit of timidity. He has called us to stand and to move forward. And your life is far too important to God to play it safe. Your soul matters too much to him for you to shrink back in fear. There are too many people who need to know this message of his love and his grace and his forgiveness and life transformation for us to sit in a comfortable chair and think this is good enough. It is far too important. And you hear sermons like this and you read the stories and you think to yourself, but that's not me. It could be. Amen. It really could be. Amen. Because your lions are no less frightening And your pits are no less deep. And your snowy days are no less cold than Banias. They're different. But your lions and your pits and your snowy days are for you to take that next step. Paul put it this way. 
be careful then, be very careful then how you live. Now, let me explain that. He is not saying live carefully, okay? He's not saying live very, very carefully. Don't take risks. What he is saying is be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. He's saying take great care not to live in safety, but make sure that you are taking hold of every opportunity. Be very careful. Be diligent in seizing the opportunities in front of you. Make the most of every one of them. Do not come. Do not come to the end of your life and think, I wish I had trusted God more. Do not do that. Your life matters too much to Him. Do what you can do with what you have because you only have one shot at this life. And through this life, some tremendous things are going to happen to you. Wonderful, happy, glorious things are going to happen to you. And some terrible things are going to happen to you. Horrible, terrible, no good, very bad things will happen to you. Because that's life. That is life. And you will second guess yourself. And you will have ups and downs. But do not come to the end of your life thinking, I wish I had trusted God more. Letter to the Hebrews says this. Talking about a, a long list of heroes of faith and people who did incredible things and people who suffered incredible things. And he comes to the end of it and he says, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. It's our turn. Now it's your turn. Your lions, your pit, your snowy day. It's your turn. And the writer to the Hebrews says, we have record over and over and over and over and over and over again of people who ran the race that was up for them. Now let us, since it's now our turn, run the race marked out for us, for you, for me. Because we only have this one and only life. Do not come to the end thinking, I wish I had trusted God more. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.